to as fast as can. But Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, then go over and mark Nehemiah chapter 13. We'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, I'll give you the thought for the night out of Hebrews. Uh, it goes well along with uh, Nehemiah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, because we have people watching us. Now, you can take it to mean two ways. The witnesses in heaven are watching us. This in chapter 11 it talks about. Or simply witness that people are watching us here on earth. Either way, it still makes sense to me. And because we're being watched, and this is what we're commanded to do, let lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. One of the constant struggles from here to home in the Christian life is dealing with besetting sin. That word beset literally means something that is trying to hinder you, something that is trying to stop you or resist you. But it doesn't just mean something stopping or resisting you. It means that something is trying to stop you and resist you all around about you on every side that you are. It means beset. It has you surrounded and trying to stop you from serving God. From here to home, we will constantly be fighting that besetting sin and sins that are constantly trying to get us to quit, turn around, throw in the towel, get discouraged, and just drop out somewhere along the line. That's besetting sin. And it wants us to live our life according to the flesh. And they will be everywhere. It's all around you. They will come up from your past. They will be in your future. They will come from one side to the other side. They're all around you. They're besetting sin. And here we find besetting sins that we're get in the last chapter of Nehemiah. Go to the last chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 13. And we're dealing with this thought to besetting sin. Those sins that, can I, can I stop and pause right here and say, every one of us has besetting sin. There's not a one of us in here can say, I am sinless. We sin more, but we're not sinless. Every one of us has besetting sin. And we got to be careful. And, and I believe in chapter 13, he gives us some points on how to deal with those besetting sins. Now, you'll never get rid of those sins. Uh, you'll never get them washed out of your life because they're always going to be popping up from your past. Uh, there's always going to be sins in your future. And they're always going to be surrounding you on every side. You'll never get rid of them. But I believe that Nehemiah 13 teaches us on how we can deal with those on a daily basis. Too many of us let sin get a hold of us and it ruins our life day in and day out. And God gives us a formula on how to accomplish the task of getting over those sins. Nehemiah chapter 13. On that day, I, I love that. I could just stop and preach right there for an hour. On that day, 
they read in the book. Let me tell you what, you ought, you ought to get a hold of that. You ought to get a hold of the book and just start reading. Because it will speak to you. And that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. And therein was found written that, in, that the Ammonites and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. God has given them commandments. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into... Ain't that great? <laughs> Isn't that good that God could take the curse and turn it into a blessing? You think your life is cursed, God gets a hold of it, just makes a blessing out of it. Amen. I'm so good at it. He, he specializes in turning curses into blessings. Amen. Now it came to pass when they heard the law that were separated from all Israel, all the mixed multitude, underline that, we'll get back to in a minute. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of, of God, will align unto Tobiah. Now if you, if you, if you remember, uh, back in chapter 2, there were two principal enemies that are against Nehemiah and the God of people. And it was Tobiah and Sambalat. They show up in chapter 13 right here. And we find the priest of Elijah is allied with them. That means the, the priest of the temple is siding with these guys. And he had separated him from a great chamber where aforetime they had laid the meat of uh, offerings of frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of the corn and new wine, and the oil which, the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. For in the two and thirty year of Ataxacy, King of Babylon came I unto the king, and after certain days ordained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elijah had for, did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chambers. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. Then thither brought again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. Let us pray. Father, we just come before you tonight. Just, Lord, ask to touch our hearts, lift us up, and encourage us, Lord. Lord, uh, help us to realize that we have not overcome. We have not arrived, but we can live in this world the way you want us to. Help us to see that. And I want to just give your words to these people this morning to say, Lord, just to help their hearts and encourage them. And Lord, just get them closer to you, Father. And we just praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we talk about it. Amen. Tonight we're going to go look at loosing the besetting sin. It's, it's amazing. If you study chapter 13, you'll find there are six different major sins uh, the people of God are having to deal with. Six different individual transgressions that Nehemiah is getting on them about. And things that they should have started doing and things they should have not been doing. Amen. Now I want you to notice this is in chapter 13. We are at the end of the book and you would think by this point, this time, they got it down pat. 
You would think that all that Nehemiah's done for them, you would think that all that's happening at this point in chapter 13, they have gotten it all down pat. Can I tell you, they don't have it down pat, I don't have it down pat, and you don't got it down pat. Amen? Can I just say this? We're never going to have it down pat. But you notice in verse 6, this was the 32nd year of the king of Babylon. Do you remember what year it was when it started? It was in the 20th year of the king of Babylon. In Nehemiah chapter 2, you read it, it's the 20th year of the king of Babylon. It has been 12 years has passed since Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2 and Nehemiah 13. You would think after 13 chapters, 12 years of listening for a call, lessons in wall building, learning the book, living among the enemies, you would think something had sunk in them. You'd think by now they had gotten a hold of what God wanted them to get a hold of. But they haven't got it yet. They don't have it yet. It is a picture of the Christian life. It doesn't matter how long you've been living for God. It doesn't matter how long you've been working or building something for God. It doesn't matter how much of a book you learn. It doesn't matter how, much you, how many enemies you have fought off today. In this Christian life, every time you beat that enemy, there's another one going to pop up. I don't care how, fat, how many you can beat off today. Tomorrow's another day and there's a different enemy tomorrow's going to come at you in a different way. I, I, I'm just telling you, you need to prepare yourself because you're never going to win this battle all the time. But here in chapter 13, you think they would have a big shout. Woohoo! We've got it all figured out. We're about ready to serve God. We've got a good, ain't nothing going to happen. That's not the Christian life. It's, it's, it's not, there's not a discharge in a war. They're saying only the day is easy. The only day you have is easy is yesterday because you're going to fight another battle today. In the war, the only day that you're going to have is easy is yesterday. It's not the day, but yesterday is your easy day. There's not, the enemy is not going to take a day off that's coming against you. You're not going to say, well, I, I got it made. I've got it all figured out. You're not going to say that. There's always going to be sins, little sins in the Christian life that you'll have to be loose from every day. There are a bunch of words in this, in this chapter that starts with C. That, that are pictures on how we need to combat sin. If you want to underline these, I think they're great. I got to looking at it, really just, it hit me. These words that you need to combat sin, verse number 8, and it grieved me sore. Therefore, cast forth all the stuff that to, Tobiah out of the chambers. To, con, to combat sin, we're going to have to cast some things out. Amen. There's got to be a casting out. Verse 9, then I commanded them to cleanse the chamber. You, you've got to do some cleansing, amen. You've got to get some things cleansed. There's got to be a cleansing. Verse 11, then I contended with the rulers. There must be some contending in our lives. 
Verse 19, And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to before the dark, before I, well, the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be open. There's got to be some charging in our Christian life today. And one of the sons of Jodiah, the son of Elizabeth, Elizabeth the high priest, was son-in-law to the Symbolic, the Huronite. Therefore, I chased him from me. There's got to be some chasing. To combat sin in your life, there's got to be some casting. There's got to be some contending. There's got to be some charging. There's got to be some chasing in the war, in this fight that we're going to. You cannot stop. Do you think that your adversary is going to let you skip along and not do anything? Uh, you think the adversary is going to say, hey, uh, I'm not going to bother them today. I'm just going to let them have a day off. They're going to get real happy, but tomorrow I'm going to come out of No, the enemy is going to come at you day after day after day. He's not going to give you a break. Just when you think you've got a step hold, then the devil comes at you. There's always going to be combat. There's always going to be contending. There's always going to be some chasing. There's always going to be some cleansing. There has to be some cleansing. There's always going to be some casting in that Christian walk that we have. Peter said, abstain from the fleshly lust which warth against the soul. Underline that. Get to that. Find that in Peter. Your biggest enemy and my biggest enemy, now get this, I want you to get this in your mind, get it set. Your biggest enemy, my biggest enemy is not the devil, it's not the world, but it is me. I am my biggest enemy. I am my biggest downfall. It's not the world. I have a problem with me. I have a problem with my flesh. And that's my biggest enemy. Peter said, hey, 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 abstain from fleshly lust." Because we all do it. We all do it. You would think the man that wrote most of the New Testament, you, you would think a man that was a great Christian, you would think that a man that walked, talked with God, seen heaven, you would think that man had got it going on. Look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I just want you to see this. I'm not a better Christian than Paul. I'm not even in the same stratosphere as Paul is as Christian walk. Paul is on a different level. When I read the stuff that he, he went through and he lived... I come up real short. I, I sometimes think, well, Paul, it might have been different in your time. No, it was not no different. The devil was still the devil. He still had the enemies. The world was against him. They plotted to kill him. I, I've got a little bit easier now. But yet Paul was able to go on and serve God rejoicefully. I fall short of the pattern that Paul, Paul says, follow after me because I follow after Christ. I fall short of Paul's pattern. I'm not even like Paul. But Paul said there's some things I really like. Verse 18 and verse 7, For I know that in me, 
For I know that in this body, in this flesh, in me, not you. Paul's not talking about anybody else. He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now, Paul, being that type of Christian, that kind of man that walked with God, talked to God, seen the third heaven, all these things, if Paul saying that, if Paul saying, in me, my flesh, dwell no good thing, what plane are you on? Where do you get the idea that you're some super Christian, you got it all down pat? Paul didn't have it down pat. And we're not on the same plane Paul's on. I couldn't even ride in the same chariot with Paul. I'd have to get behind in the back line. I couldn't ride with Paul. For in me that dwelleth no good thing, for, is, for, to, for, for to will is present with me, but now to perform that which is good, I find not. He said that I, I want to do, the will wants to do it, but oh, my flesh don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I find in my life, and I don't know about you, you might be better off than I am. I find that when my life, when my flesh says I don't want to do that, I tend to give in to my flesh. I tend to say, well, flesh, you won out today. Can I win one tomorrow? No, the flesh says, no, I'm going to win every time you let me win. I'm going to step up and I'm going to win. Paul says, I, I find the things I want to do and my flesh says, no. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would do, that I do. This is Paul now. This, this talk, Paul, he says, for the good I do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. That's the paradox of the Christian life. When we know to do good, the flesh tells us not. And we do what the flesh tells us. Verse 20, Now if I do that I would not, it is more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. It's the sin that's in me that's causing me to do this. It's the sin in you that causes you to do this. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He said, hey, there is evil present with me at all times. I'm never going to get rid of it. Oh, my God. I'm never going to get rid of this evil. There's something down inside of me that's always going to be there. And I find that when I want to do good, there's that old evil Paul jumping up after me. For I delight in the law of God after an inward man. But I see another law in my members, worn against that law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, into the law of sin, which is in my member. Oh, wretched man. It ain't saying, oh, great Christian that I am. Oh, great man that I am. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There are some powerful verses here in this chapter here. You ought to read them, just get them into your heart. 
when I'm trying to compare this to Nehemiah 13, loosening from sins, that if a man, the, the caliber of the apostle Paul, is going to struggle in his own flesh, he is constantly having to cut off things. He's constantly having to loose from things. You and I will well as well. Some people get the mindset well, if it's going to be like that, I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to struggle. I'm just going to give in to it. When it comes to daily practical life, you will never be totally perfect. Never be totally perfect. Down here anyway. You'll never going to be sinless in this world. But you can sin less. Amen. Somebody ought to shout right there. We're not going to be sinless in this world, but we can sin less. I'm not saying you can get without sin. I'm not going to say you're going to ever be with sin. I'm just saying we can sin less if we just follow the pattern that God has given us. I, I know I fall short. I know I'm going to give, I know things are going to happen, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to keep, stop trying. I'm going to keep taking a step forward. I get, might get knocked back two or three steps, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm not giving up. Are you trying to lose from any sins in your life? I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm honest with you tonight. I want to be honest with you tonight. I said every one of us got besetting sins in us are you trying to get loose from those sins tonight are you saying hey I, I've been sitting with this sin for so long this is in my life I need to get rid of it and I need to get out of it but are you when we read earlier he said it soared me it, it, it got to my bone are you trying to get loose from your sins you say well nobody knows my sin Preacher don't know my sin. Singers don't know my sin. The person sitting in the pew don't know my sins. You're right. We don't. We don't. But God sees your sin. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly what you're trying to do if you're trying to get away from that sin. Let me just say, every one of us need help every now and then to get away from sin that's in our life, that something has got a hold of us. And I'm telling you what, it's like a graveling hook. Once that graveling hook gets hooked into you, it's hard to get loose from that. Yeah. But if you keep trying and keep going and keep trying, sooner or later you'll break free with that. But too many of us, when we get hooked on that sin in our life, we don't want to be free from it. We like being pulled down by it. Amen. Just want to be honest with you tonight. I do not know what your besetting sin is. I don't know what you're trying to get loose from. But I know this. We all got them. We all have to deal with them. We all have to face them. I'm just trying to encourage you to get loose from it. So we can do exactly what God has called us to do. Amen. Let me show you three things about loosening from sin back in Nehemiah chapter 3. Three things that we need to do, and I'll try to get you out of here before 9.30 tonight. I want you to look at these three things. And I'm sure we do these three things just like, it's, it's in the book. I'm just reading the book to you, it's all I'm doing. First of all, it, it, we must have a cleansing from the inside. 
In verses nine, 4 through 9, you know what we read? We read about the house of God. It's the temple. And you know what the, there was happening in the temple? The priests had allowed the enemy, the enemy of God, to abide, to come just take up residence in the house of God. In fact, the large room that was dedicated to, for the keeping of the tithes, keeping of the sacrifice, keeping of the meat to pay the Levites, take care of all those things, Tobiah was living in that room. He gave it to the enemy of God. They allowed the enemy of God to take up residence inside. You better get a hold of this. They, they allowed the enemy of God to take up residence inside of the house of God. Now listen to me. If we're going to lose from besetting sins, we must have a cleansing from the inside. The house in Nehemiah 13, we should have a place of a holy place. It should have been a place that was concentrated. It should have been a place that was dedicated. But instead it was a cesspool of the enemy to take hold of. And he had a stronghold inside the house of God. Now you could take that either way you want to take it. You may say today... The body is the temple of God, which it is. The Bible says we are the temple of God, which the Holy Spirit dwells in us. You are the temple of God. You can take it this way. Listen to me. The enemy of God steps up inside the temple of your body and wants to encamp inside of you. And sometimes we allow that to happen and we give it room in our hearts. We give it room in our lives and it starts decaying. It starts rotting us up. But when something like that happens, you got to realize there's something wrong in your life. There's something wrong in your spirit. You've got to let something come inside and cleanse out your body. Amen. It's got to be some cleansing. There's got to be some stuff in every one of our lives. The temple tonight can do with some casting out. Every one of us got some stuff that can cast out tonight. Look what Nehemiah does with the Tobiah stuff in verse number 8. And it grieved me sore. Have you ever been grieved about the sin that's inside your heart? <laughs> Let's get personal. Have you ever been grieved about the sin in your heart? And I'm not talking about the sin that you got caught doing. That worries me about people who confess, repent of the sin that they got caught doing. Because that tells me, that tells me you was never going to ever repent of it until you do get caught. But I'm telling you, if you ever got to that point that something in your heart that should not have been there has got a hold of you and it grieves you to the point of tears that you fall down at the altar, Lord, I can't deal with it no more. It's hurting. It's burling me down. It's tearing my life up. And that you got so bad with it, just soared you down. Have you ever been so sore with a sin in your life? I worry about people who just say, well, they caught me. <laughs> I repent. I worry about people like that. I, I really do. They, they got this idea that, well, I, if I never get caught, you know, if you never catch me doing that, I'm going to do it until I get caught. I'm, and that's Christian people. I'm, talk, I'm talking about Christian people. I, I worry about people that, well, they caught me. I'm going to repent of it. 
What are you doing else? What else are you doing in your life you need to get repented of? We might have caught the little thing, but what big thing you got in your heart that shouldn't be there? Amen. So there's got to be a casting out. There's got to be a cleansing inside the temple of God, which is your body. You've got to get it cleansed out. There's some things in your body that does not need to be there. There's some thoughts in your body that does not need to be there. There's some desires inside your body that does not need to be there. And you've got to get them cast out of your body. And you can't do it by yourself. It takes the power of God. You've got to get him on the inside that he can push it on the outside. Amen. Mm, my goodness. Y'all don't like it, I like it. Amen, I'm telling you about it. It's got to be that. And from reading that book and the preaching of that book, God put his finger on your sin and put a highlight right to it. I find that when God really points your sin out to you, when God just lays it down on the line and says, Brother, you know you should not be doing that. I, I like it this way. Brother, you know you should not be thinking like that. You know, that's our biggest problem we get in trouble with. Our stinking thinking. That gives us the more trouble than you can shake a stick at. And he says, when God shines a light on that sin inside your heart, when God, pin, when God puts his finger on that sin, that's when it goes. He said, it grieved me so, therefore I cast it forth. It grieved him that he took some actions. Let me just say this. If there's some things going on in your life, you need to take some actions about <laughs> Oh, my, my, my. We might go back through Nehemiah again. <laughs> Why do we allow sin to encamp our life and we know it's sin? We know we shouldn't be doing it. We know we shouldn't think that way. We know we shouldn't go that way. We know we shouldn't be doing that. Why do we allow that? When the Bible says there have got to be some casting out, you've got to cast that stuff out of your life. Out of your body. Get it out. And let God deal with it. So we look at it at this point. You can say the temple of God. He's talking about the temple of God. But also it means the house of God. Can I say this? And I want to be as gentle as I can. <laughs> if we allow things to come inside the house of God. That defiles the house of God. That brings the house, that festers up, that should not be. Let me tell you, you can go to some churches around here and there's all kinds of things going on inside that church that's not of God. They may have the name of a church on the outside, but they ought to just put Ichabod on the outside because God has pulled away from it and the Spirit of God's not dwelling in that house anymore because they're teaching false stuff. They're allowed inside the house of God. And let me just say this. I want you to get this right in your mind quick. When, God, when God's people forsake the house of God, God forsake the house of God. God's not there dwelling no more. He's pulled out. He's gone. And I don't ever want to be in that place. 
I don't ever want to get into a place where I come to the house of God and cannot feel the presence of God, the movement of God. I don't ever want to get to that place. I, I like coming to a house of God where you can feel the presence of God. You got the shaking going on. You got the shouting going on. You got the praising going on. And it's all about the Spirit of God inside of us. It's not we're trying to look somebody up bigger. It's about God and making God. Second Corinthians 7 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting the holiness and the fear of God. Did you notice what he said? <laughs> We're Baptists, and I know we are. Because this is the way Baptists are. Boy, you sure got some nasty stuff in your life. You need to get cleaned out. He didn't say, hey, point out your brother's faults. He said, let us all therefore cleanse ourselves. That means you got to get, you can do some work. You've got to get up and get started cleansing. You've got to do something. You've got to, you can't. We talked about it this morning. God, you let me do that. You let me get to this place. You let me do this sin? You let me? No, God, God says, hey, this is the way you need to walk. This is what you need to do. I'm just giving you the opportunity to get right. And that's what he's telling us. Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves. Get yourself clean. Get yourself right with God. And I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> We're going to be here all night. You fight God long enough on your sin. You fight Him long enough. One or two things are going to happen. It's going to break you. You're going to come to the altar and you're going to get right with God. Or you're going to leave the house of God. Because somebody that's got sin dwelling in their life cannot be around the Spirit of God. It will just drive you crazy. I know. I used to sit in the back of church wait to preach. Says, Let's stand and pray. I'll be out the door. Gone. And when I was like that, when I went to church when I was younger, I didn't go for the book. I didn't go for the singing. I didn't go for the preaching. I ain't gonna tell you what I went for, but <laughs> therefore cleanse yourself. He said, because we have these promises, therefore let us cleanse ourselves. You say, I can't get clean except by God. You're absolutely right. You can't get clean except by God. But you've got a part to play in your cleansing yourself. You've got to say, hey God, there's something in me that shouldn't be there. And I need help and get it out of me. Lord, would you come and help me? And God will help you. I'm just telling you that. That's the way a lot of Christians are when it comes to the Lord. Lord, if I have ever offended you. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. I like this one. I make myself laugh. <laughs> That's like me walking up, brother, and just bam. <laughs> Next week, I said, brother, if I ever offended you. You know I offended you. You know I hated you. Lord, if I've ever offended you, God knows you offended him. 
God knows which you are because God created you. But Lord, if I ever offended you, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Look, if I've ever offended you, I'm sorry. I know I offended you. I know I slapped you. I know I'm, you know it too. Why should it? Well, if I have ever offended you. <laughs> That's what we do. If I have ever offended you. Is, you, ever, you ever had somebody say that to you? Brother Jim, I'm sorry if I've ever offended you. You know you did. Talked about me like a dog behind my back. You know you did. Well, if I've ever offended you. Well, I'm just telling you, you know you did. Well, if I ever did, I'm sorry. Well, okay. That's the best you can throw out there. We'll let it go. We'll let it go. Amen. That works on both ways now. I'm just telling you. We, we have a... We have a tendency of offending people a lot of times. And, I, and can I say this? And I, I don't want to overstep bounds, but sometimes we offend people we don't know we offend. Yeah. We do. Yeah. We do. And, and <laughs> well, this, this was church in a heartbeat. One pastor I want. If anybody's ever offended you and they don't, they don't know it, you ought to go say, hey, what do you mean by that? Now, if you slap me, I know exactly what you mean by it. I know exactly what you mean by it. That means you want me to slap you back. Amen. <laughs> One slap deserves another. No, but when we, when we offend people about what we don't know we offend. Now, I've done that several times. I've, I've said some things that I didn't think offended somebody, but it got offended by it. And they come to me like, brother, what do you mean by that? Well, that's not what I meant by that. Well, I took it that way. Well, you took it the wrong way. You took it the wrong way. I can't say nothing about that. This is what I meant by that. This is what I meant. This is what I said, and this is what I meant. See, a lot of people take the things you say the wrong way, too. So we, we need to be careful. We need to be careful about that. It happens, and this is what it is. They, they, they allow the enemy to come and set up inside the house of God. Talking about loosing from besetting sin that we have in our life. And that besetting sin can ruin your life. Not only can it ruin the life of your personal life, but it can ruin the church too. It can. You say, well, how is it going to ruin the church? Because we start letting those little besetting sins set up inside the church. Like, like Tobiah does. They cleaned out the offering room. They cleaned out the room that they had. should have been there for God. But they, they put somebody else in there. So... Clean out that besetting sin. Look now. You notice when Nehemiah 13, when the house of God got loose and start getting everything in, letting Tobiah in, an ungodly man, the house of God was forsaken. And that happens when we allow things to come in the house of God. Verse 11, then, then contended I with the rulers and said, uh, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. When we get in our place inside cleansed, we get cleansed inside the house of God, the house of God will come priority in your life again. I, I worry about Christians who say they're Christians, but the house of God is not a priority in their life. I, I worry about those. 
Because you know what? When everything's right in your life, when you got the sin out of your life and God's where He needs to be in your life, then the house of God becomes a priority in your life. You'll always want to be at the house of God. Now, I know there's days that you can't get here. I know some people work. I know, th- I know that. But just to say, hey, I'm going fishing today. No, that, I have a problem with that. Why, why was the house of God forsaken? I'm going to give you these reasons why the house of God was forsaken. And you see it in churches closing today. I mean, churches are closing left and right. You go to some churches, they're old. No young people in the church at all. And they're they, they dying up and drying up. They're closing the doors. Verse 5 and verse 10, nobody was giving because they didn't see the need to give. They didn't see the need to give to God. They didn't need to see the need to give to the house of God. They cleaned out they cleaned their tidy room, the, the room in the house of God. They let Tobiah, the enemy, come and camp into it. There was, they were mixing with worldly crowds. The Bible said in verse 3, they had to separate them from mixed multitude. They had some bad church politics. I hate church politics. The priest wanted to get rid of the good with Tobiah. He started rubbing elbows with him, hoping they'd scratch his back and they'll scratch his back. I see people doing that today. I, I don't play favorites. I, I don't. People think I do, but I don't play favorites. Well, I have got a favorite. I ain't going to tell you who that is. There, 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 there's got to be some cleansing on the inside if we're going to get right and get, get loosened from this besetting sin. There has to be some correcting on the outside. Look at verse 15. And in those days saw I in Judah some treading wine pressed on the Sabbath. What are they doing? <laughs> Bringing in sheaves, laden asses, also wine, grapes, figs, and all the manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them. And in that day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of the Tyre, also therein, which brought fish and all the manner of ware, and sold them on the Sabbath day unto the children of Judah and Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is thou this ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? There, there, there was a matter of correcting the conduct on the outside. Here God's people were living like lost people outwardly, they wasn't, going to, they wasn't going to the house of God. They wasn't going to their own things, uh, doing their own thing on the Sabbath day. They were just living like lost people. Please don't miss this. Please, please don't miss this. The world start treating them like lost people. When you start living like a lost person, acting like a lost person, and yet you say you're the Christian, the world's going to treat you like a lost person. You're not going to find anybody in that way. We find this in verse 19, And it came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath. I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that there should not be open until after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said at, at, I at the gates that there should be no burden brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kinds of ware lodged out without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them. I love this. And said unto them, Why lodge ye 
about the wall. If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. <laughs> I'm going to lay some hands on you. From that time forth came no more to Sabbath. I, I really truly believe when he said, if you come and keep selling this, you keep trumming here on the Sabbath day, wanting to sell your wares, I, I'm telling you right here, oh Lord, why are we in such trouble today? Why, why in the world are we in such a heartache today? We got everything open on Sunday, and we got Sunday people want to go out and do this on Sunday, and it's God's people want to go out there. Why we got a problem? He said, if you keep coming to the house of God, wanting to sell this, do that, I'm going to lay some holy hands on you. I'm going to beat you up in the name Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm just telling you. I'm going to lay hands on you. And you ain't going to like how I lay hands on you. Amen. Can you, can you imagine the day somebody walk in? Can I say you this? I'm about ready to lay hands on you. And it ain't going to be like you think either. They were acting like lost people. Nehemiah was trying to rein them back in through the ordinance and commandments of God. They had been living like that for 12 years or more. Nehemiah, they had been living like that. They had been doing all this stuff. They had forsaken the house of God. They had forsaken the Lord. They have done all the things they wanted to do. And now Nehemiah said, hey, 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 that's wrong. You can't be that way. If you're a child of God, act like a child of God. If you're a child of God, walk with God. And don't go out in the world and try to claim the world. Amen. They kept coming to sell their stuff. Say, hey, we've been, we've been doing this all along. What's wrong now? Why, why, why are you going to stop us? Why are you going to stop us? You, you know, they've been acting just like we act. They, they talk just like we talk. They walk just like we walk. We go to the same church together. Amen. I'm telling you, we got, we got things we got to get right with God. We find there's a, there's a connection on the outside, correction on the outside in verse 3. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from the Israel all the mixed multitude. I'm talking about separating their connections. Verse 23, in th those days, saw I drew Jews that had married wise Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and they could not speak the Jewish language, but according to the language of the peop each people. But I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote the certain of them, plucked off their hairs, and made their swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto thy sins, nor sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons for yourselves. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved by his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. I, I, I'm going to have to be honest with y'all. I could not set up under his boy's preaching. I couldn't. And I don't think you would either. Now he's talking about he's talking about laying hands on somebody. He's talking about plucking their hair out. He's cursing them. Hold up, buddy. We don't play that game here. I mean, he got he got serious with them. And, and the reason why he got serious with them because they're so far away from God. 
When you get so far away from God, it takes a rude awakening to get you back to where God needs you at. And even if it well, some of y'all ain't got to worry about plucking hairs out because you ain't got nothing to pluck out anyway. So it wouldn't be so bad on y'all. But us that do, we've got problems. <laughs> but I, I really, you know, Nehemiah was, uh, he was hard. He was strict. I, I just don't think I could sit under his preaching, but let me just say, it's what they needed. Sometimes we need tough love. I'm just saying that. Sometimes we need some tough love in our life. And, and a lot of times we, we try to sidestep tough love, but we name to God, you need to just give me some tough love on my life. I, I've been doing this, and I've been, I've been drifting away, and I've, I've been saying I'm a child of God, but I'm walking just like they walk. I act just like they walk. But yet, I, I, it's like what Brother Jonathan said this morning, I knew what to say. I knew how to dress. I knew how to act. I knew where to go. I, I knew it, but he said, hey, I was lost. I was lost. That, that's what's wrong with these people. They, they, they hanging out with the wrong crowd. But yet they said they're the child of God. And, and he, I can see them again like Sunday this morning. God, you let me do this. Why didn't you let me do this, God? I didn't let you do that. You choose to be in the sin that you're in. It's not God. God has always made a way for you to get out of your sin. No matter what sin you're in, God has always made a way for you to get out of it. It could be the sin of the body, it could be sin of the flesh, it could be sin of the mind. God makes a way out of it. Right. Amen. Don't, don't say, well, God ain't helped me. God has helped you. First of all, he saved your soul. <clears throat> right there. We're talking about correction. Not only are they talking about cleansing inside and correcting their outside. One of the biggest things they are correcting on the outside, they're severing connections now, please don't misunderstand me misunderstand this i want you to understand the statement there are connections their connection was causing corruption in their lives can i tell you this there are going to be some people in your life family friends co-workers that you're going to have to just sever the connection with why? Because they're corrupting your life. You find that you start acting like them. You start talking just like them. And let me just say this. As a child of God, when you go to your workplace, uh, they ought to see something different in you. They ought to see something. You're not the same as they are. They ought to see something different. And, and when they see that's in your life, and they see that's your walk, that my walk is a child of God, I walk that. Can I say this also? Sometimes we make mistakes as a child of God in front of people anybody ever get angered and let some out there that you shouldn't let go out there and everybody around you went, you don't talk that way you don't say that he's a Christian we make mistakes too we make mistakes but it's good that's a blessing to people to recognize that you are living a life that life that when you do something you ain't supposed to do they go ooh if you do something, if you do something, you hit your thumb and you say something and you let out a word you shouldn't let out and, and nobody pays attention, nobody says, well, that's just the way it is. We've got a problem. If I stomp my toe and start, and they go, that's just him. No. 
No, there, there's got to be a severing. There's, there's got to be some uh, cutting off. You've got to sever those things in your life. And there's going to be some people in your life, your friends and your co-workers and everything, they need to see there's something in your life that's not in their life. But can I say you've got to disconnect from those that's going to drag you down and cause you to get corrupt. And they will do it. They will do it. Amen. And you know, what it ought to say, you know what? Uh, you, know, you might have to do it to a family member. I don't know. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. I care about you. But I just can't hang out with you no more. I just can't hang out with you no more. I value my relationship with him more than I do with my relationship with you. Because my relationship with you is starting to sever and corrupt my relationship with him. And I don't want that. I, want, I, I just have to, you, you're just going to have to, you have to go. I can't, I can't live with you. It, it, it's hard. It's hard. Especially when it's a family member. It's, it's hard. Uh, you, have you ever had to do that? Yeah. 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 Then you get called everything in the world except the child of God. I value my relationship with him more than anything else in this world. Amen. I'm just telling you. There, there's there's got to be a, a, a correction on the outside. It has to be that way. Then I want you to give you this last thing. There's got to be a forming to God. You've got to form to God's side in it. We got to conform to what God said and what God wants there to be in our life. There's a phrase that Nehemiah uses three times. Verse number 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the officials thereof. Verse number 22. And I commanded the Levites that should cleanse themselves that they should keep uh, come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Verse 31. He closes this, with the, this chapter with this phrase. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. You see what he's saying three times. Lord, I have tried to conform to you. Please remember for good. I've been trying to do the things your way. At the end of the day, we have got to conform one to another to the pattern of God. And I'm not your pattern. You're not my pattern. We're to conform not ourselves to each other, but we conform ourselves to the Word of God in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 the only two times you find conformed in the new chapters in Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 8 says, said we are able to conform to the image of the Son and God. In Romans chapter 12 it says, said we are not to be conformed to this world, but ye be transformed. 
If you're not conformed to this world, then you're conformed to Him. But if you're not conformed to Him, then you're conformed to the world. You've got to make your mind up. There's got to be conforming to God or conforming to the world. You cannot live on both sides. You cannot spraddle the fence. You've got to say, hey, world, I'm through with you. I'm going to reject you, and I'm going to conform to Him. Or you can either say, hey, God, I don't want to conform to your way. I'm going to live with the world. You got to say that, one or two. You know, how in the world is God going to do this conforming in my life? There's a story I read. There was this uh, uh, sculptor. And he could take rocks and just make beautiful things out of rocks. I don't know if I've been able to do that. I can do some damage with a rock. but can't make nothing out of it. He had a, he, he had a big rock. He says, I'm going to make me an elephant out of this rock. And people come by and you and say, well, I know what he can do. I've seen his stuff. I've seen his, that boy's good. But they're looking at us and says, how are you going to make an elephant out of that rock? And they got to look at him. He's over at chiseling away. He got to look at him and says, hey, how are you going to make an elephant out of rock? I don't see it. What, what, what makes you think you can do that? He said, well, this is what I do. I just tip off stuff that don't look like an elephant. You, you, got, yeah, you get where I'm going now? God says the same thing. How are you going to conform me to the, son, the image of your son? I'm going to chip off things that just don't look like my son. Yeah. How's he going to do that? He's going to take that word of God and a little bit at a time, bam, that don't belong there, bam, that don't need to be there, bam, and he's going to chip off and chip off until you conform to the image of his son. And that's what God wants us in the image of his son. How's he going to do it? He's just going to chip away, chip away, chip away. Is he ever going to be finished? Yes, he is when Jesus comes back. When we're transformed, that's when we ever finish. Amen? Be ye transformed. Praise the Lord. God is conforming us to the image of his son. What started this transforming? What, what, what got this going? It started in verse number one. They read the book. What's going to get you transformed in your life, brother? Read the book. <laughs> you say, well, I don't understand it. <laughs> but ask God, he'll give you understanding. God says, if you lack wisdom, ask and he'll give it to you. Just read the book. It's right here in front of you. And the more you read it, the more you'll be conformed to his son. God's working on it. Working for the king. Our job is not done until he comes back to get us. But until then, we can work for the king. We've got besetting sins in our life that we can let loose, get away from. It's not a, a one-time deal, I'm through with it. No. Every morning you get up out of your bed, the battle begins. The battle rages. Things are popping in your head that shouldn't pop in your head. You may slip and do something you shouldn't do. It, it's all, it, that is always ever before you. But he said, hey, you can get rid of it. You can get rid of it. Amen. 